Evening, everybody. So good to be together. It really is. Um, I am a Natal boy through and through, loving living in Mpumalanga. We live right there by the Kruger, but it's good to come back to the roots. I just love Natal. I especially love the curry. Amen? And we've had so much of it this weekend, so I'm in my absolute element. Um, two guys I've asked to quickly come and just tell us what happened this morning. Graham, if you could come up, and Michael, just very briefly tell us what God did for you this morning. I, I do this to just help raise the faith levels, because God responds to faith. He's attracted to faith, and I think they've got a great story. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Sorry, I'm a bit nervous. <laughs> well, what happened this morning was God laid on my heart, and he told me that it's fine to be scared. Basically, all the men. It's fine to be scared. And uh, um, as long as you involve God in your life, you must be careful to, to, how can I put it, build a wall around your fears. I'm talking about experience now. Build a, a wall around your fears becomes a stronghold, and it's a difficult thing to break. So let the Lord work in your life and help you break that wall down so that you can turn your stronghold into a testimony. Uh, just this morning while we were praying for each other and for ourselves for topics of healing and deliberation, I want to say, um, God touched on four different topics, three of which were applicable to me somehow, one of which I felt instant healing for in the moment. He was talking about healing for people's backs, and there's this recurring, I want to say, like knots that I've had in my back for years and years. I know how this thing works. It comes and goes, and when it comes, it stays for days or for hours at a time. I prayed, and this thing just instantly vanished. It's like it was never there in the first place, and I just want to give glory for that. That's amazing. Um, before we, before we go into the Word, I want to pray for the sick again, but I just want to say to you, if you've ever received a miracle from God, a physical healing, and it comes and then suddenly, all of a sudden, it disappears, don't despair, don't give up. Sometimes that does happen. We have a real enemy, and he wants to try and bring symptoms back, and if we just kind of become victims, then it's possible for that to happen, but you know, once God has given something, He's not going to take it back. And so we can fight to keep that thing forever. Amen? I'm just saying that because sometimes that does happen and we lose out because we haven't learned this principle. If you need a miracle in your body of sorts, anything, if you just need God to come and do something physically in your body or perhaps mentally or emotionally, then um, in fact, if we could all stand, if you wouldn't mind doing that now, just makes it easier for those that are going to respond. If you would love prayer tonight, I'll tell you what we're going to do just to prepare you for it. In a second, I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. And then we're just going to get people around you to just lay their hands on you and to pray a simple, short prayer of healing. And we trust God. Amen? If you do need healing in your body, would you put your hand up, please, if you love prayer tonight? So those of you that are believers, if you love the Lord... Uh, look around you, just if you can just go next to them, put your hands on them, and I'll give you instruction once you've done that. If everyone can have someone praying for them, please. Keep your hand up until someone comes. When someone does come, you can put it down. Thank you. Everybody to have somebody, please. We need some folks over there, someone over here. Okay, just ask them very briefly what they need healing for. Just keep it so short, if you don't mind. Just very briefly, tell the guys praying what you need prayer for. Literally 20 seconds. Have you told them? Don't give them much, just headlines. Now, those that are praying, I want you to just pray with faith that Jesus would heal that condition. In the name of Jesus, just command that condition to leave 
the person now. Let's go for it. Begin to pray. Just pray with faith and authority. We declare right now healing God. The blood of Jesus has been shed to heal. And we just declare healing over bodies right now, over minds, over emotions in the name of Jesus. We say be free. Be free in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just a little bit longer. Prayers of faith. God can't do it. This is what he died for. If you have been prayed for now, and it's possible to just check something in your body that you've just been prayed for, if it's possible to test that thing, would you test it quickly? And if you feel like something has changed in your body after prayer, can you indicate by putting your hand up so we can see, please? If you've received prayer and there's a definite change, something's happened, would you put your hand up, please? Thank you. There's a hand over there. Awesome. Anyone else feel like you've actually been healed over there? Wonderful. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Amazing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I've just learned to rejoice over every single person who responds. If we pray for 20 people and three get healed, my heart goes out to the 17 that didn't. But we have to learn to rejoice when we see breakthrough. Amen? Just one more call. Has anyone else received? You, feel, you can actually feel it in your body. Something's changed. Would you put your hand up if you haven't? Just want to celebrate with you. At the back there. So exciting. Thank you. Beautiful, Lord. Yeah, let's give God a hand. Amen. Amen. Take a seat, thanks. If you are still ministering, we can carry that on after the meeting. God's Spirit won't go, promise you. If you were prayed for and nothing happened, don't get discouraged. I'm trusting for healing in my own body in areas, and I've been prayed for many times. And we have to get beyond that. Keep trusting for our own healing, but also trust for others. Can you live with that? Thank you so much for the opportunity to preach. Um, I want to share something from the scriptures, just share some bullet points off of that, and then end with a song of worship where there's a, almost a commission. I feel like God wants to commission us, to send us out into this world with hope that Jesus is still alive and what he said he would do is, he's going to do. Amen? Could you turn with me to John 21, please? It's the famous portion of Jesus coming to Peter and encouraging him after his backslidden state. So encouraging. John 21. Verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared to his disciples. This is right at the end now. Right at the end, just before Jesus goes to be with the Father. He appears to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Interesting. More than half of the disciples went back fishing. They were discouraged because Jesus had been taken away. They got no idea what's happening. In some ways, we could kind of say that they were, they were a little bit backslidden, kind of doing what they did before. Loss of hope, loss of direction, loss of vision, they go back fishing. And Peter was the guy who spearheaded that. Verse 4, early in the morning, interesting, Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. You know, when we go through tough times, Jesus comes early in the morning. There's this principle of he hunts us down because he loves us so much. Sometimes when we're backslidden or we're going through this real difficult time, we feel guilty and we feel we should run. 
But the right answer is to run to him because he's standing there from early in the morning to late at night waiting, waiting. That's the nature of God longing for us to come back to him. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Interesting that his way of restoring Peter came through the miraculous. He performed a miracle as one of the ways of bringing Peter back to himself and to encourage him was through a miracle. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom, whom Jesus loved, that's John, he said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off, jumped into the water. I love the heart of this man, Peter. He had just denied Jesus three times. He was battling with guilt. He was so condemned. And he still had this passion for Jesus. It's, it's kind of like left the other guys to bring in the fish. It's like, I don't care what happens here. That's who I need to go and see. Awesome. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They had the hard labor Peter didn't wait to help them. He just goes, man. For they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I wonder what the response of Peter was like when he came to Jesus. Because it says he hops out the boat and he runs to Jesus and the other guys are bringing the fish in. So there was a little bit of time between them pulling the fish in and coming to where Peter was standing with Jesus. I wonder what his conversation was like. He had just denied Jesus three times. Like <laughs> typical Peter, jumps out the boat, runs to Jesus, and then like, then what? Like, did he say sorry? Did he kind of, you know, bow his head in shame? Did they stand in silence? Was it awkward for Peter? I don't know what happened. But one thing I do know is this man had so much zeal. It's the heart of God's people, even when we mess up, to run to the Lord and to receive passion back. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, with, I just read that, with, with fish and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat. Now he goes back and he drags the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 but even with so many, the net was not torn. Another miracle. Jesus said to them, come at breakfast. It's just such an amazing picture of how God leads us, his people. Remember, these guys were the guys who left to go do what they used to do, probably all carrying a measure of guilt, confusion, not knowing what was going on. And he says, come and eat with me. Similar to what Brent said, a picture with Moses on the mountain, eating with the Lord. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that he appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is the part I want to focus on. The rest was a build-up to this, because now God focuses on one man, Peter, like he does on you and me. He's an individual God. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so it seems that they went for a walk. Because if you look at verse 20, it says, Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. So if someone was following them, it means that they were going for a stroll. It's almost like Jesus separated Peter from the others, went for a walk, and they had this discussion. Jesus was about to, the Bible, well, the headings of the Bible use the word reinstate. He was about to, in my lingo, kick him out the nest, put him back on the rock, give him courage again, because it was Peter who was instrumental in seeing the church of Jesus birthed. Remember at Pentecost, shortly after this, when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, Peter was the guy who gets up 
and he facilitates this move of God as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon a whole bunch of them. He was the guy who said, relax, relax. Don't be afraid. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. And he starts to quote some other scriptures from Joel. Peter was so instrumental in this church being birthed and then reaching a world. God involved him in that process. So he's now, God's, Jesus is about to, in a sense, put courage back into him. And this is what he says. I know we know this well, but let's read it again. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? That's verse 15. Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Then he said, feed my lambs. Again, he said, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. He's getting him ready for his next journey to love people. Verse 17, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What he was doing is planting his feet back on the rock. Go, Peter. Go and do what you've been commissioned to do. Go change your world. In verse 18, very truly I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Such an amazing story of reconciliation. I want to use the word commissioning because that's what he did. Commissioning to, to, to set apart again, to give courage to go. And that's exactly what happened to Peter. It's interesting, he says, when you were younger, you kind of did your own thing. Now that you're older, someone's going to do it for you. And I know he was talking about the way in which Peter would die. But I think he was going beyond that. He was saying, when you truly give yourself to me, you're no longer your own master. You belong to me. And I'm going to tell you what to do. It's almost like there needed to be a, a, a full handover of his life. You know, not on his terms, but on God's terms. And I think the Lord was setting him up for that, saying, you used to do it this way, now you're going to do it my way. And I want to, off the back of that, with that as the introduction, just share five or six bullet points on what will it take. That would be, the title of the message in the form of a question, what will it take? What will it take particularly to start walking in the miraculous? What will it take for a church to genuinely believe what God has said and to get out there into this world that's full of broken and hurting people and really believe that they can change through the power of the cross, change a world? When I say that statement, I, I don't use it glibly. It's not, a, it's not just a throwaway statement when I talk about changing the world. I believe it with all my heart. I believe the church can change the world. Individual churches, churches corporately, families, because that was the commission God gave us to go in, into this world and bring the gospel. That's how we change it, bring the gospel. Tell people how good God is. What will it take? What will it take for a church to begin to believe this? Here's some thoughts. I think it takes a people who believe that we are significant and strong. I know that sounds strange because it kind of makes it all about us. But I do think we need to get a, to a place in our faith where we honestly believe that we're not victims, that we carry this power of God, that Satan really is scared of the church and therefore scared of individual Christians. I remember some time back, the Lord spoke those two words to me. He said, Guy, you are significant and you are strong. 
And it happened over a little period of time, and I suddenly, I just believed it. It became my reality. I am significant, and I am strong, not because of who I am, but because of what God says. You're significant and strong. Significant as a son of God. I think if we're going to start walking in the miraculous and particularly in particular, we have to believe who God says we are. Significant because he says we're significant. Gracie, can you come quickly and just tell us what you felt earlier when Grace shared this word, it's my little girl, 13. Um, she said earlier, Dad, I think I've got something for the church tonight, and it just rang true in this area of our self-worth in God. Thanks, buddy. Um, so I got a picture of, well, I felt God say to us that we are like clay and um, how we can't, um, like, shape ourselves or other people can't do us. The only person that can shape us is the potter, which is God. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you, babs. Brent and I were chatting earlier. I think this is the key to walking in the miraculous, is believing who we are in God. You know, when, when you realize who your Father, your Heavenly Father is, it changes everything. And when we start to step out, and particularly in the area of the miraculous, starting to pray for individuals around us, it, when you planted on this fact, this this truth that God is my father and I'm a son or I'm a daughter, it gives you courage to keep going. It's like if you know, let me just get this right now. When I know who God is, then I know who I am. And when I know who I am, then I can tell others who he is. Can I say that again? When I know who God is, then I know who I am. And when I know who I am, then I can tell others who he is and how good he is. It's not just knowing who he is, but whose we are. We are sons and we are daughters. When I started to really believe this, because I think there's stages of, if I can use the word revelation, understanding this truth. It's almost like an onion that's peeled. Maybe when you first get saved, we don't fully understand the stuff, and as we grow, it's like another layer is peeled, and another one, and another one, and I really start to believe it. I am a son of God. When I started to believe this, an unusual thing started to happen. I started under my breath a whole lot to say this statement, and I will qualify it. I would say so often, I don't care. I used to be really concerned about what people thought about me. I'm not that natural leader who commands authority. Well, it wasn't like that when I was in school. Every, everything that I've achieved has come from hard work. And more than hard work, it's come from realizing that this is who God has called me to be. I've had to grow into that knowledge. And one of my realities has been Concerned about what people think, my reputation. And as God started to bring that point home to me, that I'm his son and that he loves me regardless, this thing started to develop in me, I don't care. Now, I need to qualify that because that sounds quite arrogant. What I don't care about is my reputation like I used to. Does that make sense? I, can, I, I care a lot about people. What we do is because we love people. But something had to change in my thinking that I can't do this to depend on the accolades of people to get my encouragement from people. I've got to learn to get it from God. And as I became, as I started to understand, like Peter did, as Jesus was reinstating him and giving him faith again, I think the same thing started to happen in his own heart. I'm a son of God. I can do this. It changed the way I perceived things. It changed the way I did things. And what starts to happen when you get this revelation is it's more important that you obey God than try and please people around you. 
Because I think that's something that steals this desire to operate in the miraculous is fear of man, which would be the second, the second thing is to deal with fear of man. And my own wifey has been on this journey. I've asked her just to briefly share her own journey with us, just very quickly, how God has helped her in this area. Evening, everyone. Um, there's a beautiful scripture in Romans 8, and it says, um, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I've, I've been a Christian since uh, 93, so 30 years ago, where I really gave my heart to the Lord, and it's been a journey for me. I love making people happy. I love including people, checking they're okay. Um, that's just part of uh, who God made me. But I realized that, um, yeah, that I, I feared what people thought, sometimes so much that I was not obedient to God in everything. So um, about five years ago, um, I really sought the Lord on this issue. And this scripture has become a key scripture in my life, that I'm adopted. And um, uh, he's my Abba Father, who I can run to and be confident in. And so I really pushed into God in this area and, I, and um, yeah, God really gave me a revelation of um, who I am to him and that I'm his child and um, that it doesn't matter um, what people think or um, what, um, what people would like me to do. I can just be who I am. And yeah, since, since God's done that in me, I just, I, I've realized that a key for me to overcoming fear of man is obedience to him. And not only obedience to him, it's just an intimate relationship with him as my father. That's so good. Thank you. Um, a man called Piet Wallace, as some of you know, he once said to me, polite people compromise. He probably said that to me 20 years ago, and I've never forgotten it. And that's what I mean by needing occasionally to say, I don't care. It's not a thing on people. It's a thing on I don't care. When it comes to my reputation, I would rather please God than, I would ple than please man. Just to recap briefly before we carry on, what will it take? What will it take for a church to start to walk in the miraculous and for the church to believe that we have this power and authority over the evil one It'll take believing that we're significant and strong. And secondly, dealing with the fear of man. Thirdly, where hunger starts to overtake our reputation or our need to maintain our dignity. Where hunger starts to overtake our reputation or our need to maintain our dignity. God is attracted to hunger. What I mean by hunger is where he literally becomes everything to you. It should be like that when we become Christians, but let's be honest, we go through our stages, and sometimes things become more important to us than they should, or more important than him. Someone once said, when we go through the waters of baptism, we should go in with our cell phones, our car keys, and our wallets. Because what we're saying is, for the rest of my life, I'm serving you, I'm putting you number one, and a hunger for God, this, this desire to please Him, not from works, not trying to make it happen, but just this, I guess it's a love relationship with a spouse if you're married. It's keeping that thing fresh. It's regularly saying that, Lord, I've given you my entire life, and it doesn't matter what it costs. For the rest of my life, I'm going to serve you with everything. And I care more about what he thinks about me than my need to maintain my dignity. I remember as a, uh, 
a small boy. I, I couldn't have been more than 10 or 11 years old, perhaps. And I had given my heart to Christ. Sorry, I was probably a little older, probably early teen, and I'd given my heart to Jesus. But I remember lying in my bed one night, and, and it just dawned on me that God wanted all of me. I just had this, this kind of, uh, he wants all of me. I've given him my life, but it's almost like I felt in some ways like I was holding some stuff back. And it, it was like the father said to me, God, will you hand over everything, boy? And remember, I was young. I was a new Christian. Didn't understand a whole lot at that time. Was very motivated in many ways by works, not understanding grace. But I knew that God wanted a response. And I remember saying yes, but with tears. Yes, Lord, I give it all to you. I knew something of the cost of what I was saying. I told you I didn't really understand grace at that point. I, I, I believed so much in what I had said yes to that I thought I would wake up the next morning and my family would not be alive. I thought God would take my family in the night because he asked me for everything. So I just assumed, oh, well, it could mean that. That's how much in my heart I said yes. There was this fear. Again, it was wrong because God's not like that. But I didn't understand it. It was my world as a young man. But something changed in my life that night. And every now and then I've had to, I've had to re-say that to the Lord and recommit, Lord, I give you everything. I actually do it often now, if I'm honest with you. Often... I don't know, every now and then I'll, I'll just say, Lord, it doesn't matter what it costs. I don't really care. I want you above everything else. And I say that to just keep that thing fresh in my heart. When I said yes to Jesus, I said yes forever. There's nothing that the world offers. There's the attraction of the world as attractive as it is in comparison with Christ. It is not attractive. And I think in answer to this question, what will it take to start walking in the miraculous? It's this thing of we hand everything over to him at any cost. It's a frightening thing to do because it might mean some adjustments. But I don't care. Because he's worth giving everything for. We're preparing ourselves for heaven. That excites me so much. Doesn't it excite you? When you hear someone who's elderly pass on to be with the Lord, honestly, sometimes what goes through my mind is, that's awesome. Because <laughs> if you look on the other side, if you look at through the spiritual eyes and you realize what's just happened, it is awesome. It's what we all long for, to be with Jesus forever and ever in eternity. That's where we're all going. And because he's so awesome and he's done so much for us, part of our responsibility, and it's our privilege, it's not a burden, our privilege is to say, I give it all. Like when last did you re-say that? Just a question, just a challenge perhaps. Because I find if I don't keep sharp in that area, if I don't remind myself constantly that it's my privilege to serve him forever, other things can start to take priority. Other things can receive more of my attention. I love my family to bits. I've got an awesome family. But I say to them from time to time, you need to know that I love the Lord more than I love you. And Cheryl often says to them how much security that brings her, knowing that I love God more than I love her. It means whatever he says, we do. Sometimes there's a wrestle. Sometimes you have to take a day or two to go and ponder this. If you feel God's saying something, it's like, Lord, really? Is that what you're asking? He'll never ask us to do something that'll be a heavy burden. It might be a sacrifice, but never a heavy burden because of his character. He's kind and he's loving. And if he asks us to sacrifice something, like Quentin was saying this morning, it's always for our good.
What will it take to start to walk in the miraculous? I'm asking this question because sometimes people have practical, like, like they, they want to know some practical answers. How do I get going in praying for people? How do I get going in prophesying over people? How do you start? What's the catalyst? What's the keys? I think these are some of the keys to believe that we're significant and strong, to allow that hunger to overtake us, to deal with the fear of man, to hand over everything to him. Next is to stop being impressed by the size of our problems. That wasn't my saying. That came from someone else, and I, I borrowed it because I just think it's so helpful. It's helped me. When I'm impressed by the size of my problem, I focus on my problem. That makes sense to you? If it's constantly before me, it becomes my focus. It almost, it almost becomes something, you almost idolize it without even realizing. It's like that's the focal point. And I think somewhere and sometime in our journey with God, there has to come a time where we allow God to take the problem that demands our attention and to honestly hand it over to him. Cheryl and I know a, a wonderful couple, but they're consumed by something that's just happened to their daughter. And every time you talk to them, that's all that comes out of their mouth. They are absolutely consumed by the pain that they're experiencing because of a crisis in their family. And I get that. I get the challenge of life. I get, I get crises. It's our, it's our privilege to, to walk people through crises and walk through our own crises. But somewhere along the line, there's got to be this laying this thing down where I, where I say, I don't know how to. I don't know how to deal with this thing, but that can't be my focus anymore, Lord. It's a shift of focus to that, from that to Him. I understand the significance of, of handing like, something like that over. But I do believe it's part of our breakthrough in seeing the miraculous, in seeing people around us start to receive the power of God through our lives. I guess one of the gauges of how we're doing in that area is when we have conversations with people, what comes out the most? It could be concern about what's happening in the nation. That could be the problem that's become bigger than God. And there, there's reality around that stuff, but it can't be bigger than God. And somewhere along the line, we've got to come like Jesus took Peter for the stroll and said, boy, if you love me, you've got to let that stuff go. Because I've called you to pastor people. I've called you to shepherd people. And you know what? We all have been called to do that. It's the challenge from the Lord to all of us. Go feed my sheep. Go love people. The entire Bible is summed up in two sentences. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the greatest command that God has ever given us. And it should be right at the top to love him with everything. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, really? Like the entire Bible? Is it summed up in those two things? Absolutely. Greatest commandment, love God. Second one is love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm going to love my neighbor, I have to deal with my stuff. And I think one of the ways we deal with our stuff is regularly bring it before the Lord until we're not impressed with the size of that problem anymore. The problem starts to be seen in context. It's an issue, but it's not bigger than the Lord. When it is bigger than the Lord, it's almost like our focus on God becomes diminished. I find in my own life, when I... If I'm overly busy, if I'm overly stressed, I find myself shrinking when it comes to trusting God for those things to happen around me. 
couple of years ago, I went through a, a bit of um, just a difficult time in one of the churches we were leading. There was some conflict on our team, and uh, a series of events took place. And I went through a little bit of burnout, and doctor told me I'm depressed. And I had no idea what depression was. I just knew I wasn't functioning like I should. I explain it to people like this. It's almost like there were two or three bricks in my head. And I needed often to just rest my head. The goal was just to get through the day. A week was too much. I'm a dreamer and a planner and I love doing that stuff, but I, I couldn't do no dreaming. This was my goal when I woke up in the morning. Father, please help me to just get to the end of this day and to do well. And in that whole process, um, I was diagnosed with this condition called generalized anxiety disorder. And one of my challenges in life is to control anxiety. If I don't, it controls me. And what I've noticed is when my anxiety levels get higher than they should, or when I get driven, which is easy to fall into, you, that whole identity thing, you, you, you forget it for a while, and you start to get motivated more by works. How can I please God? How can I please people? And I find when I, when I go down that road, this desire for the supernatural and for this lifestyle where the power of the Lord can flow through, through me, it's like that thing goes to sleep. Anxiety and stress kill the miraculous. It's dreadful. And I just thank God for people around me like my wife and others who have learned my signs and who've been able to tell me, because sometimes I can't see it in my own life, where she'll say, Guy, you, you, you're doing this thing in your own strength. You need to rest. I'm sharing this because I think it's a bigger problem in our society than we realize. And some of you might be sitting here. In fact, I spoke to a person very recently who said, I've just been diagnosed with depression. And I was able to give him courage and say, you're going to get through this. You might have to change your lifestyle a little bit. God's going to help you through. But the, I think the thing that we, the anchor when the pressure is on is run to him. It's almost finding rest. Rest comes from here, or comes from him, and he brings it into the soul, to your spirit. That's why Jesus could sleep in a, in a storm when the boat was just about to sink. He slept in a storm because there was no storm inside of him. And we can be in the midst of a crisis and still be peaceful. And that's for me is the goal of the Christian life is because crises happen all the time. Stress happens all the time. Fear is around us all the time. What's going to happen to this situation and that situation? I have no idea. But it's finding, it's just pausing. Sometimes you just pause. Put your hands out like this and you just, I just want to know that you're with me. Sometimes you can actually feel the tangible, the tangible presence of God as you grow and you walk with Him. It's just, He's here. And we're not driven by this stuff. It's another way of walking in the miraculous when we're peaceful. And then finally, and I want to end with this, what will it take to start walking in the miraculous? We need to risk. I know this is simple stuff, but it's been my journey in helping me to see miracles around me. We need to risk. I, I think one of, the, one of the temptations is to think that one day I'm going to grow up as a Christian. One day I'm going to be mature. And when it comes to these things of seeing God's power flow through us more and more, it's almost like we pray about it and then we just think one day it's going to happen. And we don't think it through, but... Somehow our minds just analyze it like this. It's like one day I'm going I'm to see miracles around me. 
That might happen, and it does happen every now and then to people, especially new Christians. They become Christians, and all of a sudden they, they, they believe what the Bible says, and they're starting to see healings around them, and other things start to happen. But most times it's a journey. And if you had to ask me the biggest lesson I've learned in seeing breakthroughs in my life, it's this thing of, I have to risk. What does it look like to risk? It's, you don't develop muscles overnight. They come through flexing them. They come through exercising them. If you want to start to see miracles begin to happen around you, you have to target areas where your faith can be built. If you want to see healings and miracles, it means you've got to find people to pray for so that you can begin to see them. Someone once said, you'll never see miracles if you don't pray for the sick, and I believe that with all my heart. You see, a gospel without power is half a gospel. The Word of God is powerful, and I'm so grateful for the Word of God, but the Word of God on its own is not going to be what's going to change the world. It's the Word of God and the power of God, or the Word of God and the Spirit of God. A gospel without power is half a gospel. It's not a supernatural lifestyle that we're after. It's a Jesus lifestyle. I coined this little phrase, to know him is to show him. It's not good enough to just know what Jesus said. If we're going to be used by him, we've also got to know what he did and how he did it. So much of his life was teaching and preaching, which we value so much, and I'm so grateful for the Word of God that helps us to be able to bring that to people and to ourselves. But it doesn't end there. It's the Word of God that's in us that gives us the power and the authority to go and change the world around us. To know Him is to show Him. I want to not only do what Jesus did, or said, but I want to do what he did. Don't you? So much of his life revolved around meeting the needs of people. Some of them were practical needs, and some of them were supernatural, spiritual needs. I was saying to the leaders the, the other day, if Jesus lived in Richards Bay and he went from here to K&K Curry, because I think Jesus would have eaten curry, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just being silly. But if he, if he went for a drive, there's a good chance that he would have been mobbed on the way. Traffic jam, perhaps. Because that seems to be what happened in the Bible. It says at times he was almost crushed because people just wanted to be with him and touch him. And sometimes people didn't even need his attention. Remember the little lady who had that problem for so long? She just touched his garment and she was instantly healed. I think if he had a house in Richards Bay or in Pangani or somewhere else in this area, I think he would probably have people at his door from morning to night. Not only people from Zululand area, he would have people flying in from the Americas, the Australias, Asia, Africa, wherever, whatever I left out, whatever continent I've left out. If people knew that someone was able to heal them, people would come from all over. And the amazing thing is, he's given us something of that power as well and said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. These signs will follow those who believe. And he, he says, what he did, we can do. But we've got to believe it. What if I've tried many times and I've prayed for people around me and I've ventured out and I've done what I should do and I've had, I've had faith that God's going to do something and nothing happens. It's like my hand's up to that one. Sometimes this stuff is so confusing. Like why is that scripture in the Bible? I find it quite offensive at times. 
If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be thou removed into the sea and it'll be done as you say. At times, I'm sure I've had faith bigger than a mustard seed. And I've been convinced God's going to do something or heal someone and they die of cancer. How do you program that? How do you process that stuff? I remember Scott Brewer when we were leading that church. I think there were three or four people that died of a terminal disease in a couple of months. The church was so wounded by that thing. One couple said, I, I believe Jesus heals, but not now, you know. Not a lot. And that came because that young lady's mom died of cancer. And so the way she processed this complexity of the situation was she had to give an answer for it, and the best she could do was he heals, but he's probably not going to heal now. I get it. I don't judge her. How do you navigate your way through disappointment? Or you feel that God said you need to share your testimony with a friend, and you finally pluck up the courage to do it, and they reject you. Well, he was rejected all the time. What I find with this lifestyle of being used by God, particularly in the miraculous, is you've got to just keep going. I only started to see miracles happen in my own life. It took, a, it took many years. And my journey was up, down, up, down, up, down because of disappointments as a pastor. And something switched over a process of time and I suddenly realized I can't live like that anymore. If I'm going to see this stuff happen, I've got to trust God and I've got to venture out time and time and time again until the breakthrough comes. I've observed my own life and other people's lives that if you keep going, there will come the breakthrough. Sometimes it might be after 150 prayers for healing. And once you get that breakthrough, it's like you've, life begins. I think one of the ways that we handle disappointment is to, I would call it a mystery box, to have a mystery box. Sometimes things happen and we just don't get it. To have this Put things in the mystery box. Lord, I, I was obedient to you. I did my best. Nothing happened. Sometimes there's mysteries around God. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? I, I don't know. But I'm not going to overanalyze that. I just put it in the mystery box. And I keep on. And I do it again. And I do it again. What will it take to start walking in the miraculous? Those things. Probably a whole lot more. But if we start somewhere, giving everything over to him, seeing him as a father, saying yes, 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 yes to his call, and then risking until we see the breakthrough, we'll have a church that's vibrant. Because God wants a vibrant church. Who else is going to touch the world? Who else is going to help the world? The church has got the answer. But someone's got to believe this stuff. And we can. And I want to pray for us as we um, end now. I want to, we're going to sing a song of worship. Maybe the team can come up so long. And I, I'd love it to be like almost a, a commissioning song or a commissioning time where we recommit ourselves to the Lord and say, Lord, if I have fallen short in any of these areas, I'm so sorry. And we come back to him tonight, put us, pull ourselves together, come behind this amazing God and allow him to readjust, to give courage again, to keep going.